It's the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service and Podcast for Monday, August 17, 2020. On today's 100th episode, librarian Mary Louisa Morales talks about uh, several books that have been translated into English, but her talk is more of a love letter to translators and the important work that they do. Translators are the shadow heroes of literature wrote Paul Oster, the often forgotten instruments that make it possible for different cultures to talk to one another, who have enabled us to understand that we, all from every part of the world, live in one world. As we mentioned, this is episode 100 of the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service and Podcast. The show is made possible by the talented professionals that you've heard on the show since our first episode on March 31, 2020. First and foremost are the librarians of the Code St. Luke Public Library. They share their in-house expertise on so many interesting topics. Over the last 100 episodes, you've heard discussions about books from library director Janine West and librarians Jennifer Eisman, Lisa Milner, Daniel Belanger, Katie Bezer, Mairead Stevenson, and Maria Luisa Morales, who you'll hear today. You've heard music librarian Farah Mohammed talk about music and play music from all eras. You've heard Stephen Tomlinson's spot-on TV and movie recommendations and his talks on the history of the movie industry. You've heard music from Nick Burgess, the Corona Serenade performers, and the Code St. Luke Dramatic Society. And of course, the authors, all the authors who have appeared on the show, either live or as a recording, including Lawrence Hill, Catherine McKenzie, Emily St. John Mandel, Marjorie Salona, Alison Waring, Dr. Daniel Kalla, Amy Stewart, Joel Yanofsky, Monique Pollock, Mark Abley, Claire Holden-Rothman, Michael Karen, Ava Stashniak, and Ariella Friedman. And all those interesting people from other walks of life who have joined us, including Chef Mary Berg, who we heard just last week. We had Boris the Hypnotist, nutritionist Cindy Basil Brown, home organizer Camilla Marquez. We had a scientist, Dr. Mark Poznanski, and Joyce Cohen, who spoke to us about vision boards. We've even had Mayor Mitchell Brownstein on to do interviews with volunteers and staff. We've had Anissa Cameron from the Code St. Luke Dramatic Society interviewing performers. And of course, your favorite regulars, including Dr. Joe Schwartz with Science Demystified, Hershey Dwoskin with In the Headlines, and Kathy Diamond for her book review. This is a pretty awesome cast of characters, and they've been with us on the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service and Podcast for the past 100 episodes. Well, I guess technically the past 99 episodes, because this is the 100th episode, but whatever, you know what I mean. So thank you to everybody who helps make this show possible. We hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. And here's the show. Good afternoon. My name is Maria Luisa Morales, and today I will tell you about books of fiction in translation, books originally written in other languages and translated into English. I'm a reference librarian and cataloger and also a translator from English into Spanish, not a literary translator, though. Canada's most renowned literary translator is Sheila Fishman, who specializes in translating works of contemporary Quebec literature into English. Born in Saskatchewan, she was brought up in Ontario and lives in Montreal. She's a founding member of the Literary Translators Association of Canada and has translated more than 200 Quebec works into English, including novels by such noted authors as Rocarier, Michel Tremblay, Hubert Akin, Anne Bert, Marie-Claire Blais, Yves Bochemin and Kim Tui. She has received numerous honors for her work, including the Governor General's Award for Translation, 
two Canada Council Prizes for Translation, a Molson Prize for the Arts, and inductions into both the Order of Canada and the Order of Quebec. Fitchman's first translation was Rocarier's La Guerre Yeser. She realized that translating this book into English could be an interesting way to get across to non-Francophones. She worked through Carrier's darkly funny tale, which includes the story of a young man who cuts his hand off to avoid the draft in the Second World War. When she finished, she sent out letters of inquiry to publishers who weren't encouraging. The manuscript languished for a year or more. The lack of interest is easy to explain, she says. Most Anglophone presses didn't have the resources to make Quebec voices available in English, and the vast majority of translation in Canada at the time was still an anonymous and commercial activity. When Fishman mailed out her career manuscript, the concept of literary translation in Canada basically did not exist. On the advice of William French, literary editor at the Globe and Mail, she contacted a new small press called House of Anansi, founded in 1967, with a mandate to publish Canadian writers. When La Guerre Yes Sir appeared in 1970, it proved a huge hit in English. At the time, the political climate in Canada was tense. Carrier surrealist fable was the right book at the right time. His readers learned about French Canadians' different attitude to war, their difficult history with religion, and their resentment of being second-class citizens in what they perceived to be their own country, Quebec. La Guerre Yeser was soon adapted for the stage in both languages, and the book has never been out of print since. The success of La Guerre Yeser convinced Fishman that translation could satisfy her ambition to be a kind of passeus, ferrying cultural information across a troubled linguistic divide. Fishman has almost single-handedly introduced English Canada to Quebec fiction. Her deep sense of the Quebecois identity shaped Fishman's translating practices, particularly her principal need to be invisible. The translator's most important attitude, she argues, is deference. Fishman sees her job as preserving as many traces of the original voice as possible. From random sentences and sentence fragments to syntax and verb tenses, this has informed one of her most talked about habits, her decision to keep key language in her books and touch, specifically the sacré, Quebec's religious swear words. The work of translators such as Fishman reflects a shift in Quebec literature. It has moved on from nationalist-tinged novels of self-discovery to explorations of multicultural subjects and perspectives. For example, Kim Tui's award-winning bestseller, Ru, which Fishman translated, narrates a family's immigrant experience moving from Vietnam to Quebec. The worldliness now found in Quebec's writing is in line with the fiction English Canadians are reading a sign, perhaps, that literary translation has a healthy future. The Translation Rights Fair was established by the Canada Council for the Arts in 2011, 
with the aim to bridge the two solitudes of Canadian publishing. The Canada Council, in collaboration with the Department of Canadian Heritage and Salon du Livre, Montreal's International Book Fair, have become partners since 2016 to organize the Translation Rights Fair in Montreal each year. Thus, English and French language publishers have the opportunity to meet exchange information and buy and sell Canadian translation rights and make the most of the presence of international publishers. Next year, the fair will move out of Place Bonaventure to a more airy and light-filled venue across town. The move will give the organizers the opportunity to add more events for professionals. It is worth mentioning the recent success of one book in particular in English-speaking Canada and by extension in the United States. La Fiancée Américaine by Eric Dupont sold 60,000 books in Quebec and a further 6,000 copies in an English translation published by QC Books. The book was translated into English by Peter McCambridge. U.S. rights were sold to Harper Via, which published the book in February 2020 as The American Fiancé. Dupont's fourth novel was published, was published in Canada as Songs for the Cold of Heart by QC Fiction, was on the 2018 Scotia Van Giller Prize shortlist and was a finalist for the 2018 Governor General's Literary Award for Translation. In this extraordinary breakout novel, a rich, devastatingly humorous epic of one unforgettable family, award-winning author Eric Dupont illuminates the magic of stories, the bones of family, and the tweets of fate and fortune to transform our lives. Translations from Quebec have doubled in recent years, and there is a good reason for that. The books are as good as any being produced anywhere. McCambridge runs a blog called Quebec Reads, where you can read about the books published in Quebec, many of which are not yet translated. It all starts with a good book, then a translator, writer or publisher is inspired to see it translated. Suddenly, thousands of readers discover another side of Canadian literature. Providing works in translation allows audiences outside of Canada access to a large and growing national literature, and Canadian authors are enjoying an increasingly international audience. QC Fiction is also a great example of Canadian fiction's global appeal. I will mention five acclaimed books in translation from various countries. You may enjoy them. I will start with one that touches us all. Marie-Hélène Poitras' novel Griffintown was translated in 2016 by Sheila Fishman from French into English. Loaded with greed, heart, murder and desire, Griffintown tells the exhilarating story of the Calèche drivers of old Montreal. It is a novel unlike any other, a story of sorrow and renewal, of unexpected moments of grace. It is clear 
from fairly early on that the novel is in some sense an elegy for a time that has already passed and just doesn't know it yet. Poitras takes her reader into an anachronistic world of present-day Kalesh drivers, each with their own sad story, at a moment where their frozen-in-time way of life faces danger. More a snapshot of a community than a linear story, the plot is fairly minimal. The tale opens with the murder of Paul de Paty, owner of the stable and lord of the domain, as the carriage drivers are returning for the summer tourist season. As the wake of his death ripples through their ranks, it exposes the troubled relationship between the characters who inhabit de Paty's domain and the outside world. The murder forces this self-contained community, with its own laws and logic, to reckon with the forces operating in the city at large, as the neighborhood is subsumed under a broader urban vision, a move that drags the tale back into the now by highlighting the quiet violence of gentrification in a changing city. This strand seems particularly timely when the real Griffin town is fast changing and with tourists baiting Kalesh facing extinction. Poitras writes beautifully, realizing her world in a rich, emotional prose that invites the reader to settle in for a long, slow read. Her sensuous language evokes empathy for the horses, their riders, and ways of living that have lost their place in the city. Time itself seems to be one of the tale's protagonists as the story shifts and slips between a palimpsest of Montreal's old and new. On its release in 2012, the French-language original won the Prix Littéraire France-Quebec and was nominated for the Prix Ringuet as well as landing on numerous best-of lists. Sheila Fishman's stunning English version makes a clear how the act of translation is itself creative, laying bare the work that goes into recreating poetic expression in a different linguistic field while keeping the local flavor of the original. My next choice is Abigail by Magda Chabot, a wonderful coming-of-age novel released in its original language in 1970, translated from the Hungarian into English by Len Ricks and recently published. Abigail, the story of a headstrong teenager growing up during the Second World War, is the most beloved of Magda Chabot's books in her native Hungary. Gina is the only child of a general, a widower, who has long been happy to spoil his bright and willful daughter. Gina is devastated when the general tells her that he must go away on a mission and that he will be sending her to boarding school in the country. She is even more aghast at the grim religious institution to which she soon finds herself consigned. There is nothing for Gina to do except entrust her fate to the legendary Abigail as the classical statue of a woman with an urn that stands on the school's grounds comes to be called. If you are in trouble, it is said, leave a message with Abigail and help will be on the way. And for Gina, 
who is in much deeper trouble than she could possibly suspect, a life-changing adventure is only beginning. Becca Rothfeld from the New York Times Book Review writes that the English edition of Abigail is as welcome as it is overdue. Len Rick's superb translation is a delightful page-turner. Shabov's frank conversational prose takes a back seat to her plotting. The novel unspools its secrets over many pages, and the resulting tour de force is taught with suspense. Nothing could ruin a book so humane, but to resolve the novel's central mysteries, especially the enigma of Abigail's identity, would be to diminish some of its breathless urgency. To learn the truth, you must consult Abigail herself. Let's move now on to our third book, Flights, by Olga Tokarczuk. Olga Navoya Tokarczuk is a Polish writer, activist, and public intellectual who has been described in Poland as one of the most critically acclaimed and commercially successful authors of her generation. In 2018, she won the Man Booker International Prize for her novel Flights, translated by Jennifer Croft, and the Nike Award, Poland's Top Literary Prize in 2008. In 2019, she was awarded the 2018 Nobel Prize in Literature. The book that established Olga Tokarczuk's name in the Anglophone world could have easily been structured and marketed as a book of short stories, perhaps some of them interconnected. But the fact that Flights is a novel seems somehow more true to life in the way that our lives are discontinuous, fragmented, full of returns and departures, progress and regression. Flights, an uptitle wonderfully rendered by translator Jennifer Croft, pushed against the edges of the novel's form to make us second-guess whether the form was somehow actually exhausted. Tokarczuk's stories encompass different times, locations, lengths, perspectives, and tonal registers. Aaron Robertson wrote that she has a eye for the paradox of the encyclopedic project, which seeks at which seeks at once to encompass a significant range of information and possibilities, while also leaving room for expansion. Now we shall discuss Celestial Bodies. Celestial Bodies is a searching work of fiction by Joka Alharti, an Omani writer and academic. The English translator, translation from Arabic by the Oxford Don Marilyn Booth won the 2019 Man Booker International Prize. Celestial Bodies tells the subtle and quietly anguished story of several unhappy marriages. The rules of expectations of a traditionally patriarchal Islamic society bend this novel's focus back into the sort of marital misery that once animated the European literary tradition. Celestial Bodies, a slender novel alive with many tales, encompasses several generations, but at its heart is the story of three sisters 
who are disillusioned by marriage. The novel moves back and forth between the generations flexibly, often in the course of a single page or even a paragraph, owing to Alharti's deft management of time shifts. This book lifts the veil on a world that we don't often hear about. And my last book today is The Polish Boxer by Eduardo Halfon. This is the first work of fiction by the Guatemalan writer translated into English. The work sits at the crossroads between a short story, a novel, and a memoir. This slim collection of linked stories by Eduardo Halfon is a revelation. In this jigsaw puzzle of a book, Halfon's fictional fragments move effortlessly from Antigua, Guatemala, to Durham, North Carolina, Belgrade, and Pavoa do Barcim in Portugal. Narrated by Eduardo Halfon, a Jewish Guatemalan writer and literature professor, much like the author, these stories, re, stories wrestle with issues of art and writing, identity, Auschwitz, sexual ecstasy, and gypsy music, among other things. Halfon's is a relentless search for answers and secret keys to the riddles of life and family, history and home, truth and passion. The Polish boxer brought together author Eduardo Halfon and an international group of five accomplished translators who decided to work in concert with each other to deliver an exquisite manuscript. Their collaboration is a concrete example of the passion Halfon's works generates among English-speaking readers and further proof that exhilarating literature has no geographic or linguistic boundaries. The translators were Oli Brock, Thomas Banstead, Lisa Dillman, Daniel Han, and Anne McLean. Translators are the shadow heroes of literature, wrote Paul Oster, the often forgotten instruments that make it possible for different cultures to talk to one another, who have enabled us to understand that we, all from every part of the world, live in one world. Well, it is time now to say goodbye until our next episode of Book Talking. Thank you for listening and happy reading. Well, that is today's episode of the Code St. Luke podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to our guests and thank you to you for listening here today. The show is produced by me, Daryl Levine. The telephone broadcasting service and podcast was launched as a way to get content into your home during the pandemic period. As you know, we had to stop our events at the library and at Parks and Recreation. So we hope you're enjoying the podcast as a sort of a virtual way of getting the content to you so you can hear your favorite speakers at home. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. Every rating and review helps others to find the show. Have a great day.